this is the Misdirected Mark Podcast, a podcast about gaming, game mastering, and entertaining you, our listeners. We are explicit, you have been warned, and I'd like to thank Mike Willard for letting us use his music on our show. Now let's pick up those mics and get on with this thing. All right, well, uh, Mark just, wow, that was one hell of an escape. Captain Tellus has the Shadow Master in custody. The Darkstone gang managed to get uh, access to most of his resources. They're going to keep the Empress busy for a while. And we got away with the MacGuffin Orb. I honestly did not think you guys were going to get away with the Orb. Parson, if you keep piling us away from the planet, I'll contact the alt market and get a buyer for the Orb. All right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Make a roll. I connected, which adds plus one to the test. I rolled 11, but plus one, that's a 12. Nice. All right, well done, well done. Um, with your contacts, uh, you get all that you want and even more than your asking price. Like, there was like a bidding war uh, for the orb. Um, even at part value, the, or- the orb's worth millions. So the final offer that comes in is 80 million credits. 80 million? Money. We can buy a new ship. Yeah, you totally can. That is... We can get weapons for the rebels. Yeah, that that's a good use for all that excess wealth. Like, there's going to be plenty of ways for you guys to use all these cards. Moolah! Uh-oh. Mach just is getting worked up. I've always wanted money. Fondle to hold. The scent of the stonewashed credit. The enchantment of the eddy. The sparkle and splendor of the space dollar. The luster of latinum. The sensation of the sea bill. The nuance of the new yin. The silly, sterile stab of the imperial kilo. The stolid sumptuousness of the e-bill. Oh boy, here he goes. I've got 90 million creds in my armor coat. I've got 40 million. No, 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 no singing. We Guys, we have a podcast we got to do. Yeah, maybe in the after show. All right. But with that, welcome to the 420th episode of the Mr. Mark podcast. Tonight we discuss the role of money in RPGs, how to use money, how to manage money, and tips for getting the most out of game economy. Along the way, we'll take suggestions and examples from the chat room for life before jumping into the after show. All right. And that means it's time for the temperature check so that we can get into the house. Oh, you know what we're missing? Yeah, I know what we're missing. My name is Phil. My name is Jerry. And I'm Old Man Logan. And boy, do we know how to make an opening. Oh, man, take one (laughs) week off. Forget how the show opens. Ah. Professionals. Professionals. Professionals here, folks. Oh, anyhow, yeah, so the temperature check. Before we go into the house, we want to make sure everybody is uh, feeling good, copacetic. So, Phil, how you feeling? I am uh, physically, I am okay. Um, I am tired because I'm not sleeping very well. Um, but otherwise, fine. Um, and mentally, uh, yeah, I'm, I don't know, rocking some, like, rocking some low-level depression. Um, having some, uh, definite sleep procrastination issues, which is leading to me being exhausted as I, um, you know, scraped 3 a.m. Uh, this last, uh, yesterday before I went to bed. Um, so that's rough. When I go under five hours of sleep is usually a bad sign, which is right where I am. So, yeah, you might wanna um, not I did, you know, I grabbed a nap and I have a Timmy's, um, but, uh, oh, like, I just I'm having a lot of trouble giving up the day and going to bed like I I don't want the next day to start. So yeah. I just keep awake for the current day. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. 
So, well, uh, yeah. Tonight. So, men- so mentally, I'm uh, like I'm like a C minus right now. It's not great. It's not terrible. So, okay. anyway, uh, how about you, Bob? I am. Uh, I'm actually feeling pretty good all the way around. Um, physically, um, my neck is just a chronic problem. So, but it's not like heinously screaming at me. So. But you won't have to worry for too much longer. New York State's coming to the rescue. <laughs> well, <laughs> that has its own inherent problems. But um, yeah, so physically feeling pretty good. Mentally, um, it's been um, it's been pretty solid. Valheim's doing a lot to to really keep my uh, serotonin levels up. So even though sometimes it gets frustrating when we're getting our butts killed by trolls and shit, but. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm feeling pretty good, Jerry. I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm also been Valheiming a little too late every night, but aside from that, I'm doing pretty good. Um, but uh, it's it's been kind of crazy, kind of hectic and uh, wild, and uh, it's been an unusual couple of weeks just running back and forth. I've been covering for uh, a few people that are out, so I've actually gotten out of the office a little bit, um, which has been nice driving through the countryside, just kind of getting some air in the car. Just, but I'm still a little sleepy, though, so if I get a little dozy, hopefully we'll stay up late enough for the watch party. There you go. That's it. All right, cool. Let's roll on in here and do our one thing, kids. And for me, the one thing is something that's paramount in a lot of people's minds right now. Um, This past Wednesday, I rolled out the Corning for a two-hour and 15-minute drive and got stuck in the arm with a needle for my first of the Pfizer vaccines. Booyah. Halfway home. Um... So I'm feeling uh, a lot better mentally because I've got that in me. So that definitely helped. Um, it's um, New York State has has uh, hit my Fauci ouchie. <laughs> That's a great name for those Fauci ouchies. Uh, but New York State relaxed its uh, its restrictions a little bit uh, the previous week. Said anybody fifty and up, and now they're they're opening it up even more. So. We're uh, going to get a uh, lot more people. It's, today it opened to 30 and up, and next week yep. it opens to 16 and up. Yep. So my parents finally have appointments. Um, so the, the vaccination train is rolling choo-choo. Um, and uh, I'll uh, leave mine at that. Jerry, what's your uh, one thing? Let me guess. Oh, Valheim. We've been playing, we've been playing Valheim a lot. Um, it's been something that's been fun to play at night um, to get home and uh, just kind of unwind for a while. Uh, because it can be played both solo and as a group, it's just been kind of hitting that niche and it's been nice to get out at night with you and Chris and share stories while we're busy exploring and building. And the fact that each of us has a different thing we're kind of enjoying about the game, uh, has been a lot of fun. I like, I like exploring and doing research. Chris likes running around just killing everything that's dangerous <laughs> and you are amazing at building buildings. And so the three of us, you know, we team up together. Sometimes I'll go on. Uh, I'll go on like uh, resource expeditions while you're busy building something, and we just I, I like I'm a big fan of cooperative things in general, and it's just been a lot of fun um, and terrifying. Those trolls are just like like two on one. We can take a troll one on one. You can do it, but if you make a single mistake, you're just squashed. And the fact yeah. that they're <laughs> huge and fast has been you know it has been uh, amazingly fun. It's it's every time they come on the screen. Uh, my heart race, my heart races, and I just have a lot of fun. It becomes an exciting uh, battle music thing. So that's been me, Bill. Um, last week I got my second vaccination. Woo. So, uh, and it was a good thing we canceled the show 
because I got my second vaccination on Monday. By Monday night, I got the chills, and by Tuesday, I was feeling awful till almost nine o'clock at night. Um, I had um, full body aches, uh, headache, and exhaustion for um, for the day. Like it was, um, I woke up in the morning, and I like I think I made breakfast, and then took a two hour nap <laughs> to recover from making breakfast. Yeah. Um, I had something for lunch, took another nap. Like I must've slept like about 14 hours on, uh, on Tuesday. Uh, and then on Wednesday I felt fine. Like I got up in the morning on, I started feeling better like in the evening on Tuesday and by Wednesday I was like, nothing happened. Like my arm was still sore for like a good day or two more, but I was like through the, I was through the, the bad part uh, <laughs> of it. So uh, that was good. Um, I'm happy to have done it. Uh, to be clear, if you're listening, right, um, having a strong reaction to the vaccine is not a reason not to get it. Yeah. Um, it is uh, It is just temporary. Um, yes, it sucks. I've heard some people have gone up to four days. I was, um, I was just a single day down for the count. Um, but... It is, uh, it's totally worth it. Next Monday, I will have been, um, my two weeks in and essentially, um, good to go. According to like the latest research, um, they're saying that the, uh, vaccines as a pool, right? The vaccines are showing 90% real life protection from initial COVID infections. Yep. So, that's without a mask, right? Throw a mask on that and your numbers of like actually getting something is pretty dramatically low. Um, this is how um, this goes away. Yep. Right. So like we all have to do our part, go get your vaccine. Um, and if you're worried about the microchip, all I can tell you is that um, you'll be able to log into all of your computers without having to put a password in. Um, the chip just recognizes chip, lets you write it. Um, so, uh, yeah, anyway, that's good. Um, now if we uh, get to stop people from going on free break, we'll be all set. So. I, I mean, at this, so not to get super, not to get super Darwin is Darwin at this point, but, um, I can't, we like, you can't save everybody and yeah. now I'm protected. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a certain amount of, uh, if you're going to be reckless, I'm going to stay away from you but I'm probably going to be okay. Right. Like I've been disciplined. I've been great with my mask. Great with my lockdown. I got my vaccine. I have done, um, I have done my parts. Uh Right. Um, so I like, you know, I can't help, you know, if you're going to Florida unmasked to go to spring break, like that's on you. If you're, uh, if you're listening to Marjorie Taylor green and you think that, you know, the idea of a vaccine passport is the mark of the beast. I also can't help you. I will um, friggin' tattoo six 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 on my forehead. Just I was thinking. I was Taylor. thinking if there's. I was thinking if I could just figure out like which information to to ab, like to hide. I would just get a T-shirt made. Yeah. Of yeah. my COVID card. Yep. Yep. And just like walk around and be like, it's okay, everybody. I'm safe. <laughs> yep. I'm yep. safe to be around. No problems. Like all vaxxed up. Yep. Yeah. I go for. I go for mine. Um. I think uh, two weeks from uh, two weeks from yesterday. Yep. I go for yeah. the second. So, nice. uh, and Bob, you're coming up on 
It'll be two what weeks um, from this coming Wednesday. So, 16. Are days. we all House Pfizer? Is that a. Yep. Yeah. Okay. We are yeah. all House Pfizer. Excellent. There, there you go. We should have t shirts made House Pfizer, House Moderna, House J&J. House J&J. Yeah. House there AstraZeneca you if you're overseas. All right. Well, yeah. that's probably enough of the vaccination thing. That's enough. Let's roll into the announcements. Sure. Uh, Voyager Watch Club mm-hmm. is entering uh, its fourth week. Oh, man. Uh, still early enough to get in. Yep. It is. Uh, we are we are finishing out season two. Yep. Um, this week, we get all the way up to the season two finale, which is where Bob um, has had his past problems. But with an open mind yep. next, not this Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, we're going to watch those. We're going to watch yep. the two part episode. And with an open yep. mind, Bob is going to cross over from season two to season three Voyager. Yep. Yeah. I, um, uh, I, because of my shot being last Wednesday, I did not stay up and join the watch party last week. So, yeah. uh, and then I had Wednesday was all discombobulated because of the trip and everything. I ended up having to watch 15 episodes <laughs> to catch up for today. I had to watch 15 episodes on Saturday and su- Friday, Saturday and Sunday. Oh wow! Wow! Because I'm t- I'm going through all of them, not just the ones that you put. Oh on yeah, and I and, and I, we I'm, skipped yeah. a lot of season two ones yeah. because so I, was... I had to I had to go through 15 episodes just to make sure that I was caught up tonight. So. <laughs> I all will right. say this: the end of this week is one of my. It's one of my favorite episodes, and it is an episode that I guarantee one way or the other. The episode will end, and you will have some feels about it. Yeah, no doubt. Tuvix, for those who yes, are wondering, the, the episode, episode is called Tuvix. Yeah, that, um, that elicits feels. Oh dear, you will oh, have dear. you will have feelings. <laughs> okay, so with the Voyager thing, um, the next thing we're going to do for announcements is that finally, after much, much delay and 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 all kinds of. You have no idea what this process has gone through, <laughs> but my baby, my, my, my child circle of six, the abstract card game is now available from encoded designs on drivethroughcards.com. <laughs> and in fact, I will show you the page in the thing here. Boo to the, ah, uh, and I rather love this show game. Notes. It is, um, it is a fun Ooh, yes. abstract card game. It plays quickly. Um, it has a little bit of a, oh, you suck element to it yep. without being, um, super like, uh, I mean, it's still player versus player, but yeah, it's, it's lighter and faster. Um, I don't think it stings as much, but it is, it is a lot of fun. It's, it's a lot it's of fun. That, oh, I'm going to get you. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. And rather than I hate you and I'm going to flip the table. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, um, it is out. Um, and available for uh available print on um what's called print to card right yep print to card direct from drive through yeah. and uh and the rules are linked underneath the uh the image on the uh on the product page and uh you know hopefully some people will buy it and enjoy it um yeah if you, yeah. you know if you like abstract card games if you're looking for something um that you want to play um at home you know i know we're not ready to like break out of our shells yet mm-hmm. and yep. you know meet up for cons or, you know, but if you have a group of people that you uh, can play some cards with, uh, this is a really fun uh, game. How many players does it support up to? Six. So, so the, the package that you buy, like if you order the cards, you can play up to six players. Yep. And the rules. And how few can you play? Um, you can do two. Drive-through would not let me put two as the minimum 
It's okay. one player, it's two players, or it's three plus. Those yeah. are the options when you... It, so I, I put three plus, but you can fair. play two player. It's it's a little different than three plus. The dynamics are a little different because you've only got the two players. You're only working off of one person, but but it works. But We've done it. Three to six is the three, three to, to six is the yeah. the uh, is, four. Is of a course, is the sweet spot. Six is very playable, and we've had some rollicking games of six player. Yeah, six six is a rodeo ride. Yeah. So uh, based yeah. on how that game goes, six is very hard to predict what's going to happen. Oh yeah, it is uh, yeah. wild, wacky fun. It's good. It's good, and I'm I'm. Uh, you did the yeoman's work to get it out the door. Like you fixed up the cards and you got them printed and you did all the test prints. Um, and you got the rules together. Yeah, it was, um, a, it was an every- ordeal. I was ready to pull the trigger for my birthday as a birthday present to myself last year. And <laughs> then COVID and everything kind of ground to a halt. And it was like, Argh. and then when this, this March came around, I'm like, holy shit, it's been a year. I'm like, I need to get this game out the door. <laughs> Yes. So it's out there. So do check it out. Hopefully you'll uh, you'll buy it and enjoy it. Um, if you don't buy it, you know, maybe recommend it to somebody else. Maybe they'll buy it. But, um, so I, that is our it's baby. A of, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. I've played it many, many, many times. Uh, we've played it at Origins. We've played it at Gen Con. We've played it just about everywhere. So yeah. uh, I've played many, many versions of it. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. it's hard to remember which rules are the rules that are active at the moment. All right. Exactly. So enough pimping my product. Um, we are ready for the feature of this episode, which is guess what? A workshop. What? Oh, no. Hang on, hang on. A workshop. <laughs> Thank you for the warning. Hang on. <laughs> la, 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 la. Okay, I'm I'm ready to go. And go. The door. Workshop. Workshop. It's about the money. Get it. Spend it. Save it. Use it. Change the world. Get that money in the workshop. Oh, and don't suck. Don't suck. Yay. All right. Okay. Um, this topic comes out of Phil's recent interest in both iHunt and the hack he's working on for the Sprawl. Both games look at money in different ways, and because of that, they both have direct influences on their games. To be honest, money's to be mo- part of most RPGs. Sometimes that role is large, like in iHunt, and sometimes it's smaller, such as a game like Dungeon World. But in many ways, it's often hard to escape the grasp or influence of money in RPGs. So, tonight we're going to look at the various roles money can have in an RPG, as well as some tips for getting the most out of using money in your games. Awesome sauce. But before we do that, to get things started, we got to get Phil to give us some definitions, of course. So let's toss a coin to our definition panda. Behold, you are in the presence of Definition Panda. Righto. We got a few uh, definitions to roll out for tonight. Uh, The first one, obviously, is money. Uh, A current medium of exchange in the form of coins and banknotes. Uh, In role-playing games, this can take on a whole lot of different forms depending on your setting, right? Uh, The most classic, of course, is the gold piece. Uh, If you're playing a modern game, maybe it's dollars. If you're playing a sci-fi game, uh, then we're, you know, we're talking about the credit. Um, if you're uh, rocking Shadowrun, you're uh, you're spending your new yen. Uh, and if you are in cyberpunk, uh, you got the euro buck, the EB, um, whatever it's called. It doesn't matter. It's the same thing, right? It's uh, it's a medium for exchange, right? You have it. You can spend it um, in RPGs. 
if we are going to talk about money, then normally it's represented numerically and it's like concrete, right? So you have 500 credits, you have a thousand new yen, um, that kind of thing. Uh, taking it a step further, we get to wealth, an abundance of valuable possessions or money. Uh, this includes money, but also can include other things depending on what your game is. It could be uh, lands, it could be uh, livestock, it could be um, the value of your ship, it could be uh, the um, the rare art that you found in a dungeon, right? So wealth is a more encompassing term of the overall um, the overall collection of how much valuable stuff you have. Now in RPGs, this could just be expressed concretely. So you could just express the whole thing out in um, your wealth is X number of credits like mm -hmm. that, you know, your livestock's worth, you know, 2000 credits, your ship is worth whatever. Um, and you just add it up or it could be more abstracted. So you might just say that like this person is wealthy. Um, <clears throat> this person is poor, right? Like those are um, it could. So it can be both of those things. All right, next in definition is currency, circulation as a medium of exchange, right? This is the thing you do with money, right? You, you acquire money and then you spend it, right? And that it creates a currency, right? Like that, that's a currency. We're going to acquire it and spend it. I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get some money in the dungeon and I'm going to spend some money in the tavern. Yeah. Um, and again, in RPGs, um, in RPGs, the type of currency that we're talking about, because we did in the past a whole episode on currency um, of all different types of currency. So going back to, um, if you remember that episode, money in an RPG is a character-based currency. That is the amount of gold that, um, the amount of galactic credits that Mach just has is a reflection of the character, not how much money Jerry has. Um so that is a character-based currency. All right. And then the last one is economy, a system especially of, in, of interaction and exchange. And the economy is the cycle of acquiring and spending uh, this currency, right? So um, it's everybody, you know, it's, it's, it's everybody getting currency, spending currency, and all of that becomes an economy. And the thing to remember about economies, right – um, cause we also covered this in a, a previous episode, uh, is that economies work when they are in motion. So, uh, if you have, for instance, um, characters that are accumulating a whole bunch of money, but aren't spending it, your economy's not going anywhere, right? All that's happening is that characters are amassing wealth, but there's nowhere to, to put the wealth to do something with it. That's not an economy. What you want is you want money coming in and then money going back out. And that's going to create that economy. Um, and we get into that in a lot of different, like we, that term got, um, that term was also part of our currency, uh, our currency episode where we were talking about things like the fate economy, like when we talk about fate mm -hmm. points and stuff like that. But just keep in mind, economies are a flow, right? Like it's, it's a, um, it's like the great material continuum. Yes. Like a river, like the river. Yes. yes. Um, so, uh, yes. so, it, yep, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so those are, those are our terms. 
for tonight. All right. Now that we have the definitions, let's look at the different ways that money can be used in an RPG. Jerry? All right. So everything we're going to talk about works with an abundance of or a lack of money and wealth. So we talk about the super wealthy, also consider it works the other way around with massive poverty. Uh, tonight we're going to look at different, five different ways money and wealth can be used in RPGs. And we're going to start with money as? As a currency. Uh, I mean, no surprise, we just talked about in the definition. But the most obvious way that money can be used is as a currency in your game, right? This includes the accumulation and spending of a currency, which forms an economy in the game where currency moves uh, to, uh, like it moves uh, to and from the characters. I had the word players in the notes, but that is incorrect. To and from the characters. I mean, you want to pay me to play, I'll I'll take the money. But <laughs> It's a very different game. <laughs> Jerry, you got an example for us? Yes. So, for example, the characters go on an adventure, and they gain treasure through the rating of a dungeon. Then they go to town and spend their hard-earned treasure, hopefully. Yeah. So this, in turn, leads into... Um, so this this currency is going to wind up uh, being used mm -hmm. in one of the other ways that we're about to describe, right? So like yeah. what you do with the money kind of leads to the other ways uh, that money can affect a game. And the next thing that money can uh, do is what, Jer? It can be used as access. Because having money can give you access to items, services, and people in the game world. The simplest way, of course, is that money can be used to buy better or newer equipment, or upgrade your existing equipment. Yeah, so after that successful dungeon raid, the fighter takes their share of the treasure and goes and buys some plate mail. Yeah. Yep. The money can also be allowed to uh, get them some services that are prohibitively expensive. Sure. So the heroes are able to purchase time in a bio-regeneration chamber for their friend, who got really jacked up during the, the mission, um, after they get paid for their smuggling their smuggling run. And third, it can be used to gain access to people through bribes or retainers. Sure. So the heroes can make a deal uh, to give the harbor master a monthly bribe uh, in order to get tips on which ships have the best cargo in dock. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the next thing you can do with money is uh, it can be used as motivation in your game. So tapping into those two concepts above, access and currency... Um, money can be a motivation for characters, uh, an adventure that has a payment, a contract, a reward, a promise of found treasure, right? Like all of those can be motivation for the characters to risk their lives, right? I, I reflect upon Han Solo in, in uh, episode four. Yeah. There's more money than you can imagine. Yeah. I don't know. Really? I can imagine I quite a bit. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, again, motivation, right? Like, I need you to, you know, do something, you know, risky and, you know, risky and dangerous on the hope of or promise of money. So it becomes a character motivation. Now, that motivation can take a couple different, um, a, can take, it can work on a couple different levels. Sometimes that motivation is going to be personal. So, for example, if character figures with their share of the heist, they'll finally be able to get that motorcycle they've always wanted. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes that motivation is going to be for the group. So the characters give a dangerous cargo to take through coalition space for some of money that will pay off the loan they have on their ship. Sure, that would be huge, right? If you were playing in a mm -hmm. in a game where your ship was mortgaged, mm -hmm. uh, or that motivation could be for something larger, more grand. The bounty on Colonel Rayleth is more than enough to keep the orphanage running for the next year. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's like um, 
you know, that, that that's a very workable thing in a campaign or even a one shot, right? Like that's the kind of thing I like to do in a one shot is, you know, oh, you take the, you know, if you take this guy down, like you could totally, you know, keep the orphanage running for like, you know, the next year, next cycle, season, whatever. It's all for the children. For the children. For the children. For the children. All right. <clears throat> it can also be used as a setting element. Money and wealth can be a setting element of a location or a story or a campaign. In this case, the money's not a currency for the characters to spend, but rather it defines thing about the location, the type of story, or the type of campaign you're going to play. And a location can be located somewhere wealthy, and that's going to help us imagine that space. Yeah, there's a big difference between describing um, a local diner that's out on the highway and the penthouse posh five-star restaurant overlooking the city skyline. Like, even just saying that, you have two very different images of yep. of what that rest of those restaurants and who's there and you know what kind of food they serve like a whole lot got packed into um just those two uh descriptions right it can also be part of a story the character will wind up somewhere that's more wealthy for a giving story before they move on yeah so the characters could be hired as bodyguards by a wealthy businessman who needs protection while in town right the story then becomes about the wealthy businessmen, um, where they go, what they do, uh, who might want to hurt them. Uh, but then after the story's over, the characters like move on to their, their next job, which is, you know, somewhere else in the city for somebody who's not nearly as wealthy. Right. And third, it can be part of a campaign element. The entire campaign can be colored by the wealth or the lack of wealth. Yeah. And this is kind of where this idea for the episode started, right? Cause in I hunt, um, the play as players you live in poverty um it's an inescapable part of the game um and it forms aspects about the game it ties into the motivation of the game of the game i mean honestly you know why you know the reason you get the i hunt app and go out to bash in monsters um is to you know help pay the bills because you don't want you know you don't want to get kicked out of your apartment or your lights turned off or whatever um so you know you're literally putting yourself at risk you know trying to bash vampires, you know, with a baseball bat to make rent. Um, and that's a huge motivation for the game, right? To, in order to have money to survive. Um, can, can, conversely to that, um, the characters could be in an espionage game setting uh, where they're, you know, mingling among the 1% as, you know, the campaign premise. Um, and their missions have backdrops like the Swiss Alps, um, the Amalfi Coast in Italy, um, the casinos of Macau, you know, those mm-hmm. kinds of, you know, just really, you know, um, posh, expensive kind of places. They live in, you know, suites and drive, you know, expensive rental cars and all that stuff. Finally, wealth can be used as a character trait. Uh, in some games, wealth is a trait of some kind in the game. Uh, it's rarely a stat. I say that. Because on the edge of my brain, I imagine there's a game where wealth is a stat, but I can't remember what it is. Um, but often it's an extra. So if I remember correctly, uh, just going retro for for a little bit, if I remember Top Secret SI, I believe that one of the extras you could take for your um, character was wealthy. Uh, somebody's saying World of Darkness is another one where you could take wealthy. Um, and that extra comes with some amount of narrative positioning. Right. So by taking it, you establish that your character is wealthy, um, as well as possibly having access to a certain amount of money and or items. 
the one that I always talk about is face rip. In face rip Marvel, you had, in addition to your set seven prime stats, you had health, you had power points, but you also had resources. And resources was another stat that went from feeble to unearthly that you use. We'll talk a little bit more about how, how it works. It's one of my favorite things. But it was a stat that you had in the game that you, that you generated randomly or that you could spend, you know, one of your powers on to get wealth. Because in Marvel Comics, wealth is something you can use. I mean, I think we can all tell that Tony Stark, like part of his superpower was his wealth. Yeah. Batman too. Yeah. Yes, but Tony Stark's better than Batman, so. <laughs> That's true. This is also true. Somebody's going to be rending their shirt right now. <laughs> and the comic wars begin. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. All right. So we have an example of that one, don't we? All right. Yep. So during character creation, Bob's going to take the filthy rich trait, which gives him $5,000 extra spending cash a month, two high-end homes, and several vehicles. Yeah, baby. Living high. Woo. Yeah, right? Awesome. Well... Now that we know a number of different ways that money and wealth can be used in an RPG, we're going to look at a few tips for each one of them, starting with this one. Jerry? Okay, so first, let's use it to talk about using money as a currency. The key to currency is that you have to keep them flowing. The players need to acquire them and spend them. After acquiring them and not able to spend them, they begin to amass an excess of, of money and the cycle breaks down. But make sure there are things they can spend their money on, and this can be trickier as they go up in tiers. And I'll tell you, I've been in games before where we've gotten money, but have had nothing to spend it on. Mm-hmm. And so it yeah. quickly becomes the point where we've got enough money to, to afford a hotel room. And after that, money isn't something we're interested in, nor is it a motivation. Um, and that becomes a problem. Uh, yep. We're going to talk about that a little as, uh, yeah. you know, when we get to motivation. But but I agree with you. Right. And and this is where I think, um, like, for instance, in the BX line of uh, D&D books, this is where the companion rules came in at just the right time Mm -hmm. like by the time you hit the level and i forget what the exact levels were for companion but the 15 15, so by the time you roll into 15 you have amassed some gold pieces and luckily for you the companion uh rules show up with plenty of stuff for you to spend this money on like meet your stronghold right (laughs) like and very quickly you go from having a ton of money to once again being like, well, guess I got to go adventuring because, you know, these walls aren't going to fix themselves. Um, These employees ain't going to pay themselves. Correct. Exactly. Right. Like that's a, um, so it was in terms of D and D, it was really good um, timing wise because Mm -hmm. it, it, it did that thing where it, it kept the currency flowing Um, and I think that that's, I, I, I do, I really do think that's why, um, one of the reasons why that castles and strongholds book for 5e, like really blew up. Um, because it it is for players a chance to go like spend some serious bank and get some cool stuff, like having a stronghold. I'll be honest. I, I, while I enjoy 5e, one of the problems I had with the original 5e, um, uh, whatever structured play games they had was there was nothing to spend your money on. Yeah. You come back to town with literally 20,000 gold pieces and well, I can buy another 50 gold piece healing potion. That's about it. That's actually or, one of the things I love about uh, Ebron was that mm-hmm. thanks to it being um, modern, like, and thanks to there being artists, artificers, mm-hmm. like 
there was always something you could spend your excess cash on in Eberron because it was like, I, you know, like I, and I, and maybe our GM was just being, um, like loose about it, but I really liked it. Like our GM let us do things like, um, if you want to rip that enchantment off that sword you found and go put it on your sword, the artificer can do that for cash. Yeah. And it was like, cool. cool, I will spend that money to get like, you know, to get whatever, whatever that enchantment is put onto my battle axe. Well, that was one of the things that worked with 3.5 was that 3.5, you could buy magic items left and right or build an Eberron coming from 3.5 use the same thing. And I really liked uh it, it, it did cause some problems, but it was a lot of fun. But it gave you a reason to go after that, you know, two hundred thousand gold piece dragon treasure. You know, now that dra- you know the dragon's attacking the town, meh, he's rich. Well, okay, let's go get him. You know, how um, we used <laughs> we used to have a, a running joke in one of the games I ran that they were, look look evil merchants. Well, how do we know they're evil? Because they've got a lot of money, and if they're evil, we get to kill them and take their money. Hey, look, everybody, evil merchants. Oh. That was. That was that was yeah. the uh, that that was one of the parties that I had a GM for. So in, um, in our in our Ebron game, we were um, heroes for hire in Sharn, and yeah. I was I I I don't know why I did it, but I I took it kind of seriously and I made a spreadsheet of mm-hmm. all of our expenses and all of our money that came in, and mm-hmm. uh, including treasure. Right, like we got paid for doing missions, but we also like also accumulated treasure for like beating up bad guys during the missions. Yep. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the at the end of the game year, I um I came to the uh rest of the party with our year end summary report. Yep. And I was like, yeah. so we generate about twenty percent of our wealth from fees from clients, and eighty percent of our wealth from pickup treasure from who we who we wind up fighting as part of the mission. Therefore, I propose we lower our rates. In order to attract more, to attract yep. wealthier, like wealthier customers or, you know, attract more jobs because we are clearly just making far more money, uh, taking stuff than we are like having someone pay us for the initial job. Like it was a whole thing. I had pie charts. I had mm-hmm. like a bar graph and all of that stuff. Like by, by mission, how much money, like percent wise, it was, it was quite comical. Um, but anyway, that was very much. We were in the business. What's that? So we were businessmen. We were businessmen. We were smart businessmen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's how ga- that's how games go. It was it was it was quite uh, what you call it. It was it was it was very amusing. Um, so but where yeah, are we? That's um, absolutely <laughs> like currency, and, and that, you know you hit on that important part, Jared. Like as you go up in tier, like it's if you don't have stuff to spend money on, then money stops being a motivator, which is what we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. You're going to talk about in a minute after I talk about some tips for access. Right. Yeah. So, the, you know, the last part of that is if you can keep character spending going forward, you can keep money as a motivator. Okay. Um, so tips is so tips for using money as access. So when it comes to access, similar to the advice that Jerry gave above, you need things that the players can spend their money on. And um, when it comes to access through money, like, those things um, need to actually make the characters' lives uh, better. Not always. Like sometimes characters will be like, "Oh, I'm going to buy like some you know fancy artwork for my house," which is nice if that's an aesthetic they're into. But you know, like in a cyberpunk game, if I'm spending my money, like 
I want a rotary cannon cyber arm, you know, to, you know, shoot more bad guys with. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, like, and the, there was a, the game that was like one of the games that was like the best for this um, was Corporation. Corporation had like a really good range of uh, equipment costs. Oh, yeah. And like the high end pieces were the high end pieces were super expensive. Um, some of them were like almost out of the reach of the players. And they did like if you could afford it, there were some serious bonuses or serious damage you could get. Yep. On, on the high end. And and that was tricky, right? Like that, that was, you know, that had its own um, trickiness for, you know, keeping, uh, keeping balance, which is my next point here. Right. So as you go up and as you go up in power, like tiers of play, this keep like this buying things to make your character better um, gets harder and harder, right? Like there aren't as many of these super expensive items. You can't get them in every town uh, or city, and the bonuses they convey if the player does get them could um, could cause some power issues in your game. Yeah. Uh, and that, you know, that's just a that's a reality. Like, you know, if um, if the player gets the rotary cannon arm, like you're going to need to throw out more like more bad guys because that player accounts yeah. for a lot more, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> like a lot more mm-hmm. bad guy death. Um, yeah. But you gotta like you gotta factor those um like you gotta factor those in. Uh and it's even harder if you're homebrewing this and kind of making up items because um that gets, you know, like then you get into um how well did anyone uh how well did anyone play test these and all of uh, hmm. uh all of those yeah. things. So uh yeah. Um so my other the other tip for this is um, at the higher end, it may be less about getting specific items, and it may be that you want to shift your players into ser- like looking at services and um, people, like access to people that this money can get them. Right. So, these are great ways to spend money and get value. They don't convey large bonuses to stat blocks and combat, etc., but they give them access to things that can spark motivation, that can get um, adventures moving forward. And be really good for role playing hooks because anytime you're introducing new people into the story, there's new people to interact with, and that's always good. Yeah. So, all absolutely. Right. So, so let's talk about motivation. So, if money is the primary motivation for the characters, you have to make sure that they have some goal the money can help them reach. If they're looking for personal wealth, in other words, become rich, your challenge is going to be able to keep motivating them once they've reached that goal. Yeah, or it could just be the goal of the campaign, right? Like, um, you know, some games let you retire out. Um, so, you know, maybe you just decide, like, once this character has amassed enough money, uh, they're leaving the crew. Like, they're done. Like, you know, hey, I I got my big score. Uh, it was good hanging with you guys, but, uh, you know, I'm ready to, I'm ready to go open up a bar in a small sleepy town and, you know, not have to be resurrected every other week. (laughs) (laughs) That's basically how scum and villainy end, isn't it? Yeah. Once you reach a certain wealth level, you end up uh, mustering out of the game. Yeah. So, however, if their game or if their goal was something more lofty, then you want to make sure that whatever that goal is, it's clear how money is going to get them closer to it as a motivation. Yeah, the clearer the connection, um, the more motivated they're going to be. Like, uh, if you're like, this money can help the orphanage, like that's pretty good. But if you're like, this money can repair 
the, you know, environmental system on the orphanage. Thus, you know, the orphanage not only has a stable environmental system, but actually could take more people because, you know, their oxygen production's up or whatever. Like, that's more tangible. Like, the like that gives the players, like, a better idea, like, oh, we should, you know, we should get that money to buy that, you know, to buy that life support system. It's also important to know that uh, this motivation can change or drop off throughout the campaign. It may be more of a motivation or a case to the point where money starts being a motivation and power or story or anything else can be part of the motivation more than money is. And this is the common arc of many games where money is more important at lower tiers, but more lofty motivations come later in the game. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like your campaign could start with the characters looking to get out of poverty, right? Like your, you know, your first level characters are literally like scraping up copper to get a bed to sleep in when they get to town. But, you know, after like 10th or 12th level, um, they've earned some decent coin. But at that point, like money is not important to them because they've now gotten embroiled in a plot with, you know, cultists and uh, dead gods and, a you know, ancient dragon that's going to come back and consume the world. And like, that's now their primary motivation for the game. And that's perfectly fine, right? Like it is totally fine in the arc of a campaign for character motivations to, to change. Right. And it's just kind of a recognition that, um, you know, in that game that at higher tiers, money's not really an object. Like for, for instance, in, um, in forbidden lands, like, there isn't that curve like players don't wind up like you don't wind up getting more treasure as the game goes on. Like you just wind up getting the same amount of treasure. And so you just have to keep like making money in that game. There's not a point where it's like, well, we now have thousands of gold pieces and the average town has like maybe 500 gold pieces in the whole town. Mm -hmm. You know, I can buy this town 10 times over with what's, you know, in my portable hole. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, that's, a, I mean, oh, it, truthfully, yeah. right? Like, you know, if you look at some of those stats, right? Like, and by the time you're like 10th level, you you can buy a small hamlet, like outright. Yeah. Um, but at that point, if you don't have money to, you know, if you don't have anything to spend money on, then that's not the motivator for the game. And again, totally fine if it isn't. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, as a setting element, here's some tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, when using money and wealth as a setting element, there are really two approaches. Um, so first, you can just lean into the amount of wealth that you are uh, using for your setting. Um, so, you know, use that wealth as a way to describe what things look like, how people act, etc. So if your espionage game is set among the 1%, there's going to be some evening cocktail parties of music and drinks. Your characters are going to end up wearing the finest clothes. They're going to drive awesome cars. They're going to have access to helicopters and things like that all the, all through the game. They're going to be part of the backdrop. Yeah, exactly. Conversely, you can use the you can use uh, wealth as an element to show contrast. So take the characters from their normal level of wealth and show them uh, the difference. Right, creating that fish out of water moment. So have your one percent spies track a set of arms dealers who live in poor mountainous regions. The agents have to give up their suits and suites for the gritty streets of an impoverished town. Yeah. Right. Like that, that's like a nice contrast in a game. Mm-hmm. Yep. All cool. Right. Tell, tell us about the character trait. Okay. As a character trait, you need to let the characters use this trait in the game. If they've got it, there has to be a balance that needs to be worked out. On the one hand, the characters paid for this trait and thus they need to be able to use it in the game. 
Yeah, the players need to get across the country quickly. The wealthy player breaks out his credit chip, hires a ship to fly them there. Yep. On the other hand, money is a powerful tool. There's a temptation to use it to solve every problem. Yeah, the players are stuck trying to figure out uh, the meaning of a mysterious message. Uh, when they really need to uh, find more clues by going like further into the adventure. But the wealthy players like, I'm just going to hire a university linguistic department to, to work on this message. Right. Like I can just I'm writing that check. I'll buy them, you know, like I'll buy them a wing of a building. Right. Um, and, you know, so this is that's a problem. <laughs> well, it can be. This is going to lead the GM to want to nerf that trait. And that's going to under uh, basically underscore the points or basically uh, undo the points that the player spent on it. But the GM and player need to come to an understanding on how to use this trait in order to find the middle ground that's useful to the player, but doesn't derail every adventure. Um, and this is where games that assign a value to the trait, plus three, 1d10, incredible, allow it to be mechanized when necessary. Um, for, uh, there, as we said, there are games like, for example, in Marvel, if you have Amazing, which is fairly uh, high, um, like uh, uh, like Hawkeye, level, Hawkeye supplied, or maybe Peter Parker with Tony Stark's money behind him, levels of money um there's a certain level of things you can do with that and so um <clears throat> any resources up to two levels below that you can simply be assumed to have so i need to rent a motorcycle great you have the money to do that but if you want to actually buy something expensive you then have to make a roll against that trait and if you succeed you get it but now you don't have that trait available for a while because you spent so much money that now you've only got a little bit of money left over and so on um and that makes it more mechanized and allows you to have it available, but the player still has to make a roll and might get less than what they're looking for. So maybe you can't buy, you know, um, a jet, but you can rent a helicopter. Great. That's all you need to do for now. That sort of thing. Yeah, I can think of two cases. I was just thinking of two things while we were talking about that. So one, like some good uses for having that extreme wealth, right? Like if we look at Age of Ultron during the Hulk, during the Hulk and Hulkbuster fight. At the end of the fight, Bruce is, or uh, at the end of the fight, Tony's like looking to figure out what to do with the Hulk, right? Like to take him out of the fight. And he like quickly sees the empty building and he says to Veronica, like, how quickly can we purchase this building? Right. And then throws the Hulk into it and, and brings down the whole building. Right. And like, that's a perfectly good use of the character's wealth trait in the game. Like he didn't use it to actually solve the problem. Like he's, you know, like he's like, I need, you know, like, I'm going to destroy this building, but also I'm going to be responsible about it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to just buy this really quickly um, kind of thing. Uh, that was the one thing I was thinking of. And then the other thing I was thinking of was I was thinking about Hydro Hackers, because um, in that game, uh, the way wealth works is uh, there's actually a couple different currencies. But the rule is, as long as you have a point in any one of those currencies... All of your micro transactions, your rent, buying coffee, a bite to eat, whatever, getting an Uber, all of those are covered. Um, if you need to make any larger purchases, then you actually have to spend currency points like to, to buy those things. And if you ever run out of currency points, then um, you are strapped for cash. And that is like a narrative tag that gets yeah. put on you that everything you do is like anything you do with resources is now a problem until you get a point back in one of those currencies. Right. There's a, the last one I'm just going to mention in one of the games I like to play barbarians of Lemuria wealth is actually something that's kind of the flip side of this. Um, at the end of the game, you describe 
in story terms why your character has no more wealth. What did you spend it on? How did you, how did you, what sort of role playing hooks did you use it? You know, wine, women's song, but also, you know, I spent money to go to the library and get this information. And if you tell it in such a way that generates a, a complication and story hook for the next game, you get one extra hero point for the next game, which you start the next game with no money. I love it. If you, ha- if you have the boon wealthy or rich, um, you, you actually have access to resources uh, when in a town that knows you. But that's it. So if you're in like, so in small villages, your wealth is going to do you nothing. But in big cities, you'll be able to gain uh, some sort of a boon by making your roll. Um, and then you can get like, you know, we need to get a bunch of horses. Great. I'm going to tap into my my wealthy trait. Make your roll. Oops. Nope. Nobody here. You know, I, I don't have money here or I've angered somebody or something else. But it's still a role playing hook that works really well. But I love the idea that you have to spend all of your money before the next adventure. Um, I love it. That's what Conan did. So. Yeah. All right. That was my thought. So that's our overview on how money and wealth can be used in games. Uh, we're going to take a break, check in with the chat room uh, to find out their thoughts on money and wealth. But first, Bob, tell us about another show on the Misdirected Mark Network. Absolutely. The Lounge. Doc finds the best, the brightest, the most fun game designers and sits down to have a cool chat with them. You never know what conversation is going to come up in the lounge. All right, chat room. So we have a um, a comment from Chromatic Chameleon. Uh, their favorite cyberpunk game that they played in, food was the money. And the corporations oh, yeah. gave out ration yeah. chips to food replicators. And the characters were food Robin Hoods. And, <clears throat> excuse me. Oh, I'm I'm having difficulty reading this. It may have been a typo. It says stooled like three republications. I like the idea of like, um, I mean, Hydra Hackers uses money as a, yep. as a form of wealth, right? So yep. I totally get uh, I totally get that. Um, that's a, you know, that's using, you know, and that was on, that was on purpose, right? The premise of Hydra Hackers is what if what if water was more valuable than gold? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then what 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 happens to the world? And I'm a fan of anything that will turn people into Robin Hoods to, to take from the, the people who have so much and give it to the people who have none. Yes. Which one? You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to hijack that truck so we can get all those people the delicious Soylent Green because they're sick of Soylent Yellow and Soylent Red. <laughs> yes. But Soylent yeah, Green I, is people. I mean, that's I mean, that's the whole premise of Hydro Hackers, right? This mm-hmm. steal water from steal water from rich people and corporations. Yep. Yep. I'm all for it. Sense. Yeah, absolutely. I support that. And uh, uh, I saw Avi was talking about the objective in Blades is to retire, right? Absolutely. Yep. The objective in uh, in most Forge in the Dark games is to get out of the game. Um, <laughs> yeah, to get out of the game. I mean, it's true, right? Like, I mean, the, the you know, the Forge in the... the for, you could, you know, you can make a really... Uh, you, can, you could remake the game of life as a Forged game, right? Like, yeah, there you go. I, you know, I need to amass enough wealth to retire, right? Like, Every mission is like a year's worth of my life as I get closer to, you know, as I get closer to retirement. Can I retire? If I do retire, what kind of life will this be? There you go. Um, There are games even like uh, the Genesis Star Wars game. The the players all start the game with some sort of, uh, not called deficit, what do they call it? It's, It's a debt of some sort. It doesn't have to be monetary, but oftentimes it's monetary. And at the end of every game... The players get their wealth, but they 
need to spend a certain amount to keep their debt level from going up and having, you know, all of a sudden a bunch of bounty hunters after them or whatever. Yeah. And that becomes another motivation for the party. But it gives you a way to, to control the, the wealth in the game without penalizing the players for it, which is always an important balance. Yep. Mm-hmm. Avi also said that uh, page 366 of Burning Wheel Gold has your list of resources, uh, resources test obstacles. I think that may be a typo too. No, no, that's not a, that's not a, that's a mechanic. Is that a thing? Resources, yeah. test obstacles? What more do I yeah. need? Yeah. I mean, again, you, you know, that's a, um, you know, like you need to spend, like you need to make a roll to spend, you know, like to acquire stuff, I mm-hmm. believe is how it works in Burning Wheel. Um, yeah, those, you know, I, it's, it, you know, it's a thing. Um, yep. I, I do like, uh, I'll mention, I like games where, um, there's a cost of living a bit, right? Sure. Yes, bleeds is a partially oh. an allegory for the poverty trap. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, that was one of the fun things about the the original Victoriana role playing game was that you played characters based on your social class, and the wealthy had more resources available to them, but started with fewer skill points. Mm. Uh, where the poor had fewer resources, but had more skill points because they were spending all their time trying to survive where the wealthy had people doing it for them. And so generally had a few educational skills, but you had access to things like clubs and, and so on. Um, it was an interesting uh, resource mechanic. Your wealth wasn't just how much money did you have, but also what did you have access to spend it on? Because just because yeah. you had money didn't necessarily mean you were going to be able to spend it on certain things and certain people weren't going to deal with people. Uh, who were in a certain social class. And so wealth became part of your character's generation. Ah, so wealth is, wealth is access, right? So like. Wealth is access, yes. Yeah. And, and uh, sometimes it isn't even something you have to spend, right? So if, for instance, your, um, if that access gains you access to a social club, that's not necessarily yes. a thing that you have to spend money for, but just because you are this wealthy, you have been invited to said social club to yep. hobnob. That is an access mm-hmm. that other that other characters like don't have. What what in that game? It was a that was a fusion game, and in that game you had points to spend on like background abilities. You had fewer points if you were wealthy and so on, but you could only spend points on certain things. There were certain abilities the wealthy couldn't buy, and there were certain abilities that the poor couldn't buy. There were certain abilities the middle class couldn't buy. Yeah, um, that's cool. Th- mm-hmm. That that affected your characters and, and what you had access to and. You know, how you moved up and down things just, uh, it was an interesting wealth, but, you know, because it was basically based on Victorian England very loosely. Um, but wealth and standing and everything else had a, had a, had a part of it. Um, you know, pride and prejudice with orcs and goblins kind of thing. Sure. Hmm. What, what I think is interesting about that is that it says a lot about what the designers, um, thought about how class and wealth worked. Like, or how they wanted it to work in the game, right? Like, it says a lot, like, there are certain skills you don't get because you are wealthy, like, you don't have access to because you're wealthy, because you literally don't need to use those skills. Right. Um, It's interesting, in I Hunt, there are three chapters in the tail end of the book that are not mechanical. They're more informational. But, like, one of those chapters is, like, survival tips for being poor like they're like legitimate survival tips like nowadays for being poor and like how to make sure that you have like uh, enough data for your phone if your phone is the only 
connection to the internet that you have and you know like how do you like you know what's the best way to like how do you maximize shopping at like dollar tree like to get the most food those kinds of things and it's like a really and it's in and it was it was interesting because i have been poor at times in my life um but it was like you know much earlier like in the 80s where um like i didn't have to think about like internet access like we were just you know we were just poor like (laughs) there were like there were just less things in the eighties. Like we had a, you know, we had a shitty car. Um, we lived in a reasonably okay apartment and, you know, my mom had a bill drawer, right. Where we just, you know, hid bills that we weren't paying until we had money. And then, you know, we'd pick something from the bill drawer and pay it kind of thing. Um, those, those little mini pizzas, when you got four for a dollar, man. Oh yeah. Some some weeks that was dinner for the week. So yeah. So, yeah, that, you know, it, but it's interesting in I hunt and I, and I really appreciated that they put it in there because it is, um, it's a really, like, if you've never had, if you've never been poor, right. And there's no shame in that. I mean, if you, you know, if you come from a family that, you know, that was of, you know, of a certain economic class, that's great. Um, if you've never been poor, it is a great resource to kind of understand, like, this is like how, like, this is how people who don't have money, um, survive and this game right you know this i hunt you know the default setting is today um because it's about millennials in the you know gig economy um and you know i'm the furthest in terms of wealth i am right now the furthest i've ever been from poor um i was much you know like i, w- I was poor when i was younger um but i'm not poor now as i'm approaching 50 so it's actually helpful to kind of like, you know, in terms of background material to kind of read these things. And then there is also a chapter on how um, uh, bank systems and the legal system keeps people um, being poor, mm-hmm. um, which is brutal, like talking about overdraft fees and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and I've had my share of those when I was in grad school, when I was pretty mm-hmm. when I was pretty impoverished in grad school. I've had my run in with overdraft fees. Um, which are predatory, to be honest. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. Those are, um, you know, I'm thinking, and I'm just thinking as I'm, I'm spinning this off, there was, uh, Jerry, I don't remember how much, um, how much Top Secret SI you remember, but there was a, um, there was a special box set if you wanted to do like spy games in like the 1%, like the Monte, like Monte Carlo, I, I want to say high stakes gamble. Unfortunately, I, I was, original top secret when top secret si came out i was already into other game systems so i didn't really i kind of moved on from that that was oh, that i was, loved that was the one with, with with that had like the weird chart didn't it no no i no it was um it was a percentile based game i actually really liked um i really i like top secret si over um original top secret yep it's mm-hmm. uh it's called it's called high stakes gamble uh it was a companion to the original game um where you were um you were in, you were based out of Monte Carlo. That's cool. So you had, you know, gambling and, um, F1 racing and, and like all of those things. Yep. Um, but it was like, you know, a special supplement for how to play, you know, um, this, the elite, the elite and wealthy. Yeah. Yep. So, all right, cool. Let's jump back into our topic about money and wealth with the round table, starting with this question, Phil. Uh, do you prefer running settings that are wealthy or playing characters that are wealthy, or do you prefer settings and characters who lack wealth? Well, 
I'm going to start off by just saying it depends entirely on the campaign and the character concepts. It's, it's fun to play all of those. Um, getting wealth is a great motivation. So starting poor, rebelling against the big guys, going up against the mega corpse, fighting the 1%, um, is always a great character start and gives you something. But sometimes it's fun to play the character with great wealth and gear. Um, sometimes you can finance the party or indulge in opulence. And this could be its own role playing situation. Um, I had a character in a, a D&D 3.5 game that a GM was running with a bunch of alternate rules. Well, my character started out as a, basically, I was a, I was a wealthy archaeologist spellcaster who owned an inn. And so I had lots of money, but I was constantly financing expeditions and had to keep the, the payments on the inn up and the museum that we had upstairs and, um, had to pay all the NPCs that were running the inn when I wasn't there. Um, and while I was also motivated by being, you know, I was a generally good person, a lot of my motivation was, money and getting it. Um, and I was really more interested in just straight coinage and nothing else, because if we found something exotic, like a, um, you know, a weird vase or something like that from the dwarven elven cultures, that was what I wanted more than money. Um, so it was, it was something that was a lot of fun to play and sometimes got us into places like the 1% thing, uh, where the player in the party who was playing the, the, uh, drunken master monk never had any money and we played off each other well. So, Sometimes that, that change of wealth can be part of the role playing in the party, uh, along the way too. So cool. Uh, it's fun. So Bob. Yeah, I'm definitely with Jerry. It, it really depends on what the campaign is, what the can- campaign conceits are. Um, you know, what the, you know, what the game scenario is. Um, it's going to vary greatly. Oh, I'm going to, pr- I'm, I'm going to turn the screws on you guys on this. Yeah, one. do this it. Is, no. Go for this it. Is, this this is Sean from Gaming and BS. Like it depends. <laughs> I'm gonna turn the screws on you. All right. So listen, if a game has yes. the trait, like the like the bonus, like wealthy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, are you drawn to like like would you look at that and be like, oh, I'm definitely like if they offer wealthy, I'm definitely taking wealthy for my character. Depends on the campaign and the game. Oh my god. <laughs> tell me the Tell me the, if, if we're playing D and D, probably not. Okay. If we're, if we're playing Star Wars, maybe. If we're playing Shadowrun, so, so our, character concepts going to yeah, 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 yeah. okay. if, if, if we're playing if we're playing Shadowrun, probably because I don't like Shadowrun, it'd be fun to be wealthy in that game. If we're playing <laughs> Cyberpunk, absolutely not. I'm just going to get my wealth the old-fashioned way by shooting people who have it because um, they're always bad guys in, in Cyberpunk. Um, it's really going to make it. It's it's going to be you know in a superhero game. If I'm playing Spider-Man, no. If I'm playing a character who's got powered armor, definitely. If okay. We're playing, if we're playing Battle Tech, I'm going to depend on whether I'm running the squad or if I'm one of the the mechs. Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. All right. So, so as 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 a player, <laughs> yeah. as, you're so character concept drives whether you would want wealth. Exactly. Yes. Okay. I, I'm cool with that, right? I'm I'm, yeah. I'm I'm good with that. Like, so there are you know character concepts where I'm going to play this wealthy guy um, versus not. Bob, have you ever played like a super wealthy character in a game? Off the top of my head, no. Yeah, I'm trying to think in all the games that we've played. Have you ever played anyone that was like super wealthy? I, I, you've played uh, many. You've played many a character who are comfortable. Yeah, I want to say there's been at least one game where there was a wealthy trait, and I had it. Um, was it witchcraft? Was your Rosicrucian? Um, I may have had money in which may have had just like some some bank. Yeah, but like I know your vampire wasn't wealthy no. in our vampire game. No, he was a cop. Um, Jack Spencer. 
um, from Connex. He wasn't wealthy. He was not wealthy. Yeah, most of my yeah. characters have been uh, have been regular Joes. Yeah, I was gonna say like you don't norm like you don't gravitate um, no, towards playing like a wealthy character. I can see certain concepts definitely where I would be like, yeah, that would be useful to the concept and, and it would be a lot of fun to play. But yeah. you'd be like that treasonous Muppet on Farscape. I think it also depends on whether it's a one shot or a long campaign. Because in a in a short play campaign, I don't think it's as much fun to be wealthy. In a longer game where you could actually plot with the players and the GM to use your money to do stuff and make the money part of the role play that makes a difference too. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, I just I wanted to add like I, I was curious and I wanted to ask Bob because I, I have I'm racking my brain over the vast number of characters that we have played in games and I'm yeah. like, I don't remember Bob ever being like rolling in cash. And I think it is yeah. the I think it was your Rosicrucian from Probably. Witchcraft who who because I think everybody in Witchcraft was pretty comfortable oh i think except for the um the girls the girls who ran the the witches they were i think they were they were like getting by with their um with their store they were not wealthy yeah but i think everybody else in that group was wealthy cool all right um I'll, I'll say for me um i am like is is a gm like i am wary of campaign settings that have a lot of wealth in them um, it's a really, it, it's like too easy of a tool, right? Like, um, be, I guess it'll depend on the game and how wealth is treated because if it's gameable, I'm inherently distrustful of it. Um, because I have, you know, in the past seen, you know, seen players try to solve absolutely every problem, um, through money. And it is, um, you know, like buying people, compromising people's morals for, you know, large sums of money. Like it's, I just like, it's not my favorite. Um, I like, um, I, I shy away from those things. If characters amass wealth in a game, I have less of an issue with it. Um, how, about but, ga- how, how do you feel about games where it's a, a mechanic that is open to the GMs? Like you make your role and then you have to pick what you can do with it. And the GM gets to help you interpret it kind of like a dungeon world move almost, which is how some games use it. Yeah. That would actually be really interesting to me, right? Like if, if, if we were talking about like a PBTA game where there was like a, like wealth move to me, that'd be super interesting, right? Because what that winds up, um, what that winds up saying is that the designer of that game has some very specific feelings about how, like what happens when you use wealth, you know, like for instance, like on a 10 plus um, you are able to use your wealth um, with no, you know, no strings attached on a seven to nine, you use your wealth, but um, it's going to ruin this person, you know, like pick one, it's going to ruin this person. Um, It's going, you know, they're going to come back um, at an inconvenient time in the future, dot, dot, dot. And on a six minus, you know, they, um, they don't bend to your money um, and the GM will take a move, right? Something like that. Like to me, that would be super interesting. Cause that means yeah. like now when I go to manipulate somebody with money, like, is there a chance I'm going to ruin, like, like I may have to pick to ruin somebody's life, mm-hmm. you know, like I bribe them to, you know, give me access to the computer only to find out in the next scene that like they got, you know, like, th- yes, they gave me the info, but they also got caught. And now like, you know, they're going to jail. Like, you know, then because what's that what 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 that says design wise is like, you know, there's some real there's some repercussions 
for using your money to bend people's will. Right. And now saying that, I think that's really cool. Right. Like that to me, um, that to me is interesting because that now creates hard decisions. Like I'm going to use this wealth, but I have a, you know, there's a chance that, you know, something, you know, like there's going to be consequences for this. And I, you know, that's, I think probably to me, one of the things that me personally, um, in the world is annoyed about, um, people with too much wealth is the extreme lack of consequences. Yes. Yeah. Like not even talking role-playing games, like talking about like people, right? Like extreme wealth, you know, gives these people a sense of entitlement of a, you know, extreme lack of consequences. So having a move that actually um, codes in consequences uh, to me is really interesting because that, um, especially in that seven to nine, if one of them is, your wealth goes down by a rank or you ruin this person's yep. life, right? Like now you're talking about like, now you're talking about that delicious space of like hard decisions yep. and the idea of consequences. Like, yes, you have money. Yes, you can do these things, but like there is real shit that happens because of it. I would definitely well, play. That, I would play that. Well, there's that, there's that, that, that Batman meme where Wonder Woman, Batman I'm talking and Wonder Woman says, so tell me again about Mr. Freeze. Oh, he's this freeze-oriented villain who uh, is out there um, stealing money all the time. And what's he stealing the money for? Because he needs money to research um, uh, ways to save his frozen wife. And who owns the biggest pharmaceutical company in the city? Wayne Enterprises. And who's rich? Wayne Enterprises. Why are you asking me this? She's like, no, never mind. Yeah, right. Like Um, that's exactly like yeah, yeah. You could you could you could pay off some of the villains. I mean, it's that simple. You'd be Um, like, I mean, like, look, Mister Freeze, like. Let's get down to brass tacks here. You would not be a villain if 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 you could just do research to, you know, save your wife. Like, I mean, there's just, you know, there's the Joker. That's going to be a different problem. But yeah, like a couple of these guys would probably just be like, I'm going to hang up the cryo suit, um, you know, so that I can just focus on the important thing. Yeah. Hey, hey, Victor, I'm going to give you, you know, $80 million to come work at Wayne Enterprises research cryogenics and also work on saving your wife. Come do that for us here. Yeah. You know, that works a lot better. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, so build your lab in a freezer, go for it. So, so I'll, I'll say just last, last point on this before we kick over to the next question. Um, yeah. As of right now, like where I am right now, I am not interested in running or playing any game where like you are the 1%. Right. Like I am just like, I am not, I am not for the 1% right now. Um, so I would rather play anything that is Robin Hood based where, um, where, you know, the goal of the game is to take from the 1% um, and give it to other people. I am yeah. much more interested uh, in that style game right now. Like I am just mm-hmm. not, um, I'm just not down for the 1%. Like that would be my years ago, too. I would have totally run a like, um, I would, I, years ago, I would have run things like a, um, all corp, uh, cyberpunk game where like everybody's like, you know, um, corporate executives or, you know, solos that are, have corporate contracts and have all this money. I mean, that's essentially what, um, corporation was, um, like that was like, I, I was like, I was totally down for playing those things, but like right now, no, 
Like right now, all my fantasies revolve about tearing down the one percent. I don't think we. I don't think I've ever played or run a cyberpunk game where the players work against the corporations. Even people playing the corpse, they were basically taking down the corporation from the inside with the help of the players. I uh, I think I've run a couple where they were corpse and they were basically, um, like fighting other corporations but like really like you know you're fighting other corporations because you're going to get a bonus yeah i, I think that, that that that's interesting i i've always seen the corporations in cyberpunk and this is just the way i think we played them they were always like like there were some gray areas in cyberpunk but the corporations were always the bad guys every single time well i'll tell you in, in that top. In that game, Corporation, that's exactly what your character is. Your character is an agent of the corporation. You are essentially a bad guy. Yep. Um, I don't know any other way to dress it. Like I that's cool. I don't think like you like you do things like, you know, the corporation needs this land, so um figure out how to get rid of these people. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of it also came from the fact that most of the players I play with, especially in college, treated Cyberpunk like it was a superhero game. They just assumed hmm. they were they were cyber powered superheroes out to save save the, the the communities from the evil corporations. So, um, I like my cyber. I like my cyberpunk with an emphasis on the punk. Yeah, with some cyber. <laughs> All right, that should bring Good. us into question, question number two. two. What is the biggest or challenge or problem you've had as a GM or as a player due to the use of wealth during a game, Bob? I got nothing. I racked my brain <laughs> on this one. I literally cannot think of any problem caused by wealth during a game. It may have happened. I don't know. I got nothing. Uh, I will jump in and say that um, I, I will. I will mention this because Bob played in this game. Um, so I think for me the biggest problem is one. I mean, th- there's always the problem of using money to solve any problem. But I think the other one that makes me scared is. Um, when you use that to gain access to um, really big uh, weapons and things like that. And so there was a whole thing where my players in my cyberpunk campaign were all over my shit because I wouldn't give them jobs that made enough money to get uh, the really expensive gear. All the good shit, like, man. The real good shit, like yeah. cyber frames and, and stuff like yeah. that. Like I was giving them decent money. But I wasn't giving him them like I wasn't giving them a serious bank. Um, and I wound up indulging them in a very bad way. Yeah. <laughs> we've heard this. Go yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all heard this story. Right. But I gave them like I gave them basically like I gave them like black Amex cards and let them go shopping in the book for a mission. Um, and sure. True to form. They all picked like the most jacked gear possible. Yeah. Um. And then, of course, it was a trick because they were actually clones of themselves and I killed all of them so that they couldn't keep any of the gear and they were pissed. But honestly, from my perspective, there was no putting that genie back in the bottle. You know, let me just pause for a second. I don't know if that's actually a good um, I don't know if that's a good analogy or not anymore. I'm a little unsure. That's one of those phrases that I'm not 100 percent sure is um, correct. Let me just say this. There was no way to go back on that. Like, yeah. if I had let you take those linear frames, rail cannons, and all of that, what was your next mission going to be like? Oh, As, you know, you're shooting through buildings. Yeah. It's... Yeah. yeah. Well, well, how, how expensive is that ammo? That's the other thing that happens. Yeah, but, like, you know, you only have to hit a guy with one bullet. <laughs> like, it's 
no, I mean, I'm with you, but yeah. like, it's um, like, it was going to be super hard to go yes. back. Right. Yeah. Which, so my idea was I'm going to let these guys have a um, gear vacation. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to reset afterwards. Um, and I thought I was clever about it because I didn't tell them I was doing this. Yep. Um, if you and then you're being clever it, as a GM, you're not. That is, uh, it was, it was more my amusement than theirs when the reveal came up. Like they were pissed and I was like, what, how did you guys not like that? They were pissed. Um, so, but that was my, like, that was my big problem. My big problem was like, how do we go back? If I give them access to this, it, it, it's, you know, this is, um, in kink terms, uh, this is chasing the curve, right? Like, once once you have the once you have the linear frame, I now have to like every mission you go on has to have uh, something even bigger mm-hmm. to make it a challenge. And how many of those are there before yeah. the game kind of um, runs out of steam? So that, that that's my big that's been my biggest problem is when uh, when gear winds up um buying access to things that are going to seriously unbalance the game. Yep. Okay. That's about you, Jer. For me, um, as a GM, it's always balancing too much with not enough. Um, Eberron is a good example of that. How much, how much access do you give the players to what's there? How much money do you give them? How many magic items do you give them? Um, you know, you you have to make sure they have enough to keep going. Um, when I played Battletech, we had a GM who, uh, kept our, replacements and repairs very tight unless you manage to uh connive and make uh you know back deals and so on like that um which meant that it became a, a thing of attrition and when i ran i tried to do the same thing it didn't work out for me because the players ended up not ever having enough um if you give them too much then they walk around with money they can't spend and money starts being a motivation when the when the you know when the when the town comes to them and says you know hey we'll offer you you know some money that uh we're gonna offer you you know a thousand gold pieces a piece, and the player's like, "Yeah, I'll toss it on my pile of hundred thousand here." Um, <laughs> it becomes uh, less of a motivator. Uh, yeah. We had we had a GM who ran a um, sci-fi campaign, a post-apocalyptic game, where bullets were one of the main motivators, and um, you could buy ammo, but ammo was really expensive. And this woman came to us and offered us this job and offered us some money. And one of the players that was in the party with me sat and did the math and said, "We're not taking it." And she's like, why? And we're like, well, because you said that there's an army of like 30 bad guys. It takes us on average about nine bullets a piece to kill a person. So we need 270 bullets. You're not offering us enough to pay for the bullets that you're, that, that it's going to cost us for this. So there's no motivation for us to do this and get paid for it. So you know what? Either raise more money or suffer for it. We're leaving. And we got up and walked out the door. Um, and he led the party out the door because we're like, there's, there's, we're going to come out of this with less money than we come in with. Um, and there's, that's, that's never going to be a motivator for players, especially in a post apocalyptic game where scarcity is a problem. Um, yeah. wealth becomes a big issue. So, um, as a player, uh, my problem is that I spend money at the top and the bottom. I'll spend money on simple things like replaceable stuff, ammo clips, potions. I don't tend to buy the mid-level stuff because I'm always hoarding it for the big stuff coming in later on. Um, and so um, I'm not going to buy that plus two sword. I'm going to save up until I can buy a plus four flame tongue. Because if I buy that plus two sword, is it really going to give me much more than my plus one sword? The numbers aren't there for that kind of thing. 
The problem is that also carries over into games like Fate and Savage Worlds, where I tend to hoard bennies and fate points just in case I need them. Um, I'm getting better at spending fate points. Uh, anybody who's played Savage Sunday with me knows that when you have the golden bed you can take from week to week, there was a time when I came into the game with a stack of 15 bennies in front of me because I just was saving up, but the GM would never give me something worth spending bennies on, so I just didn't spend them, uh, and that became a problem. Um, yeah, and that, I mean, that goes into the whole... Um... I mean, that goes into the whole currency and economy thing, yep. right? Like those things, like they're supposed to be there for a reason. And it's, um, you know, the fate, fate gets wonky if you don't, yeah. um, if you fate don't spend them. Fate I'm getting better on because I see yeah. the fate points come back. But for money, the same thing. If you don't see something really worth, you know, okay, you guys finally, everybody now finally has enough money that everybody can buy a horse. Uh, what's that going to do for us? Well, it's going to shorten your trip from seven days to four days. You know what? We got seven days. We we'll just walk it. We'll save that money for something else. And the GM wants us to have a horse, but has but we're not going to spend the money on it. So now we've all got horse money in our pocket, which makes it trouble when we go to the next village, and they only pay us enough money to buy a horse. We all um, have horse money in our pocket. Exactly. So it's it, it's a thing that comes up, and you have to look at that. And that's the kind of thing to discuss with the GM during session zero: is how do you want this to go, um, or just ask the GM flat out: you know, are we going to need horses later on in this adventure? The GM says yes, so we need to buy horses. Yeah, um, yeah my I, I so I do something similar to what you do. Like at character creation, I will buy the best kit that I can possibly buy, and then I will identify what the kit I actually want is. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, like okay, I couldn't buy interface plugs for my gun, and I've got you know the crappy low tier gun. I want a, I want interface plugs. Uh, boosted reflexes and this gun and then that is like the thing i drive towards yeah. in play yep. and then the hard part is after i've acquired it as a player i don't always do a good job of going okay what's the next yeah. like what's the next one there because like be once i get one. that i'm like oh cool i got the i got i got my i got my smart gun my interface plugs and i got like you know the kick-ass uh, the kick-ass submachine gun chipped in now. Yeah. like, well, And, and that's what you have to tell the GM also what you're looking for, because if you're actually saving up for that and the GM doesn't know it, and they're throwing other stuff at you all the time, right. they may never be giving you, you know, um, you know what, what you want along the way. Yeah. Um, and, and that becomes, uh, when I ran my Star Wars game, one of the players wasn't a Jedi yet, but he had some Force powers, and then he eventually wanted a lightsaber, even though his character didn't know what they were exactly. So once he told me that, I began to realize, okay, I'm going to give you things that are similar to a lightsaber so that you can practice with them, get the skill, but also start giving you the resources. You're going to get the parts you're going to need to build a lightsaber until yep. you finally can build one, and that becomes the next goal, and that becomes the next gear tier for the players. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, if I if I was a GM doing a, doing a cyberpunk game and I knew the player wanted to get the uh the the smart gun and the interface and all that stuff and they were saving up the money to buy all of it um like they get partway there they've got some of the money like i may give them like a loot drop where like they get a a smart gun as a loot drop from a bad guy Mm -hmm. now you know you've got one less thing that you have to save up the money for you're a step closer you've got that incentive like oh i'm so close yeah yeah. And then I do think like, I, I know that I forget to do it as a player and I, like, I sometimes forget to do it as a GM, which is like, all right, now that you've achieved like that mid range, like that either early or mid range goal, like 
what do you want to do now? Yeah. Like what's next on your wish list? And, and it's okay if the next one's even loftier. Like the next one's like, all right, well now that I have this gear and I can actually do some better jobs. Like I want an apartment in, you know, like a good neighborhood. Yep. Okay. Well, let's talk about what that's going to be in cost. <clears throat> Um, like I, you know, I like back in the day when we were playing our, uh, and I swear to you that somehow it was better than playing regular cyberpunk, our palladium version of cyberpunk. Um, you know, I wound up having enough money that I had, um, I had both a nice apartment, nice car with some high end gear, but I also wound up having enough money that I was like, okay, I also have a storage locker with a shitty bike some secondary gear that I like, you know, had left over after I upgraded. And I put a payment like for a year on a coffin hotel so that like, if I had to go to ground, Uh I could just like ditch my like nice apartment and had a like bolt hole that I could go to, to like, you know, to regroup. Yep. Change your appearance and all your gear and be like, Oh, nobody's going to recognize me now. I used to do that. In, I used to, I, there was, I had a D&D character that uh, used to have a bag with some gold pieces, a dagger, and a couple of other things that they would stash outside of town. Uh-huh. So that in case anything went wrong in town, like they got captured and escaped or whatever, that they could get out of town and like find the bag and like, you know, open it up and have like some base gear again. Yeah. Yeah. There's... There's a thing for the nice thing about going after things. Like, okay, now I want a better apartment someplace. That becomes a permanent drain on the player's money. Oh yeah, yeah. And now that <laughs> becomes a motivator. And that's the thing as a GM you might want to look for is things that um, aren't massive drains on the player's money, but are enough to have to keep an eye on them. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you said, cost of living. Um, the old uh, Living Greyhawk had a had a mechanism where every time you played a game, you had to play a certain cost of living, and if you didn't pay that cost of living, you had a penalty on all of your uh, charisma checks because your character was having trouble. And if you paid even less than that, you had a penalty on all your constitution checks because you weren't eating enough or drinking enough or doing that stuff. And so there was, uh, that, that was a problem because they did write a couple adventures where there wasn't enough treasure in the game to cover the average cost of living. So, so if the players played that adventure, they came out of the game with less money than they started with. Um, that's never good. Yeah. That's, um, but that was Living Greyhawk, which had a lot of design issues. But as a as a as a GM, it taught me a little bit about those those sorts of things. Which is, if you're going to have a cost of living in your game, make sure that the rewards for the game come close to that, so the players are motivated to do something. So you don't end up with the bullet problem of ah well, guess those orphans are going to be taken over by the by the by the the warlord because we don't have enough money to pay for the bullets. You can't hire us. It's game actually game. one of the things I like in I Hunt is that there is no mechanism for money. So, um, you can't just be like, okay, like if we do three more of these four star jobs, like we're set. Yep. Like that's not how the game works. And in fact, what they challenge you to do is like, um, using the imperil mechanism is like, okay, well you did, you did get your share from that, you know, vampire job, but aunt Sue's, you know, medical bills just came in like, are you going to, you know, like, are you going to, you know, are you going to buy that new TV or are you going to pay Aunt Sue's medical bills? Or if yep. you want to be even worse, like, are you going to fix the leaky roof in the house or are you going to pay Aunt Sue's medical bills? Yeah. Yeah. 
Just some good uh, ideas. I like that. All right. I mean, I hunt sounds fascinating. I think it's I, I've, I've it's kind a of very interesting game. It, yeah, but I think there's a lot of good mechanisms in there to use in other game systems. So yeah, it's interesting. I, I I'm I'm very much digging that game. Okay. Babo. All right. Question three. What is yes. a campaign idea or character concept you have always wanted to explore around the idea of extreme wealth or lack of it? So in the past, I absolutely was in, like curious about playing like um, high end cyberpunk games like where, um, you know, you're not punks. You're like it's, you know, it was like essentially playing corporation before corporation. Um, but even in corporation playing like higher end executives um, that just had more money, more access and seeing how the game like was different um, by not having that. But that like, I have like no interest in that right now. Like right now um, I am all about games that um, take down the 1% and redistribute wealth. Like I, that is like where my head is right now. Like it's why I jumped immediately to I hunt. Um, I really liked the idea of, um, of I hunt for that reason. Like, you are, you know, a millennial who is struggling to make ends meet. And here's this app where sure you can make some big cash, but like also, you know, it costs money to fix that vampire bite. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you want to heal? Like, you know, whatever. So I, I, you know, and then the same thing, like we wanted to, I wanted to play the sprawl, but I was like, boy, I really don't want you guys being like hired by corporations to do jobs for corporations. I was like, can we modify this game so that you are like, it's more like leverage yes. where you guys are, you know, ex corporates who are uh, taking down corporations. And I, you know, did a little tweaking, a little hack that I came up with and uh, yeah, we're doing that. I like we're playing cyber leverage. Yep. Um, and I fun. love it. Like I love the idea of it now. Like this is much more interesting awesome. to me set of corporations working in conjunction with each other as this consortium of evil. Yeah. Right. I mean, Uh, like, and you guys did that part. Like, like, it's one of those things I love about session zeros, right? Like some people will be like, uh, blah, session zero, like just jump into play. We could have just jumped in and started playing. But Mm -hmm. the fact that we did the session zeros and created all the corporations and then had to talk about like, what is the, like, what's the job that brings everybody together? And then like through just talking like collaboratively, we came up with this idea that like the main corporations in our look, in our setting, which is Hong Kong are actually working together um, and are doing something really awful. Yep. And that you guys are, you guys have stumbled onto the edge of this, like, you know, of this conspiracy of corporations. Yep. And I was like, Oh, this is great. <laughs> like, like, this is fantastic. Um, yeah. And you guys were all into it too. And it's just like, to me, that is like what I love about session zeros is that it, you come out of it with like, you come out of it with a purpose that everybody's invested in. Again, providing everybody is willing to make the effort to throw the ideas out, riff off of other people's ideas mm-hmm. and collaborate around the table. Because if you get people walking into a session zero and they're like, hey. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm spoiled in that, yeah. you know, our, our gaming, our local gaming circle, which is like, you know, who we play 90% of our games with, um, are very much on the same page yeah. for these things. Yeah. Like, um, I, I, I think I'll be honest. I don't think any of us walk into the sprawl 
thinking that this was going to be anything but us going after corporations. I think even before you said that, I think all of us were of the idea of, yeah, we're going to take down corporations. So yeah. I think that we were all on board with it from the, from, from. Oh day yeah, one. And, and you and you know in the normal sprawl game you do, but you go you go after corporations on behest of other corporations who are paying you. And I was like, I was like, yeah, that's the piece I just want to take off the table. Yeah. Like, yeah. you go after corporations now because somebody in the neighborhood comes to you and is like, my sister was abducted, you know, by you know um, relentless technologies, and yeah. it's like, don't worry. We'll get your sister back. Yep. And then came up with a method for how you actually make money doing that. Mm-hmm. And that was thanks Cyberpunk to our, our stonks. Cyberpunk leverage. Yes. Thanks yeah. to our stonk friends who, uh, who, uh, hijacked GameStop. I came up with an idea for how to, uh, how to actually make money, um, by hurting corporations. Yep. It's fantastic. Awesome. That's me. That's me. What about, uh, did, did we? I don't think we all went through that, nope, right, Jerry? Sure. Keep going. I I don't know if there's a uh, a concept of extreme wealth or lack of that I was really that I'm like chopping at the bit to try. Um, I am interested in trying abstract uh, abstract methods for handling looting games. Um, I always liked how Dungeon World handled gear. Oh, that you just, me that too. Just like mm-hmm. here, you find some gear, and I've experimented with it a little bit. I need to come with a better version of it. But I like the idea in some of the games that I've run where, you know, okay, you, um, the ship is sinking, you find a chest, you open it up, um, you have a chance, make your, make a roll, okay, great. You can grab three, you can grab three things. You can grab loot, gear, or items, your choice, three items, three gear, two gear, one loot, whatever you want. Write down what you did, get off the ship as it sinks, kind of thing. But later on in the game, they have loot to spend on something, or they have gear they can just pull out, or they have some special item they can use that's a little better than loot, whatever, along the line. Um, I'd like to work more on figuring out how to make that work better, um, and how to, how to kind of figure out the, the reuse economy, you know, how to figure out how many loot, how much loot it costs to do this, but it makes it more abstract and it stops the players keeping track of every single freaking gold piece and also stops them from looting every corpse just to get an extra six arrows or whatever. It's just like, all right, the fight's over and you find one point of gear and one point of loot right down, you know, and worry about it later on. That I'd like to experiment more with in other games because I think it streamlines the game and also stops the massive shopping sessions also. Um, you know, you simply have five gear on you and when you need something, you got it. I, you know, you know what, I, I, I love the gear system. Yep. Um, I think it's just, I, I think it's fantastic for just that reason. Like, I really don't want to have to uh, mess around with, you know, like, I, I don't want to nitpick. Like, the first time I saw what uh, Adventurer's Gear was in Dungeon World, like, my brain exploded. I was like, yeah. yep. this is brilliant. And then if you just take that and then add to it resource dice, like arrow yeah. dice and, yep. and food dice, yeah. like, that's all I need yep. for, like, mm-hmm. ma- that's all I need for materials and consumables. And, uh, yes, like, I think that's... For me, that's way better. And I used to be a person who was like, I'm going to go through this entire equipment list and I'm going to buy a silver mirror and I'm going to yeah. buy, you know, uh, some of was, this and some of that. But it's so much easier. And that was part, of the fun of meta- part that, was, that still was part of some of the fun of the metagame. But now it's fun just to tell people to list what you have on your character sheet. You know, tell me what you got. Yeah, just you know, like, like I got three gear. I need, a sil- I need a silver mirror. Bam, I got a silver mirror. Yep. Yeah. I'm good. Uh, I- I think that really makes makes a difference for just making the game just flow well. Um, I oh yeah. To experiment with 
I also could experiment with something similar to Marvel's. I, I liked Marvel's resource system. Um, it was very 80s, so it was a little bit more codified. In later in later variants on it, they kind of got better at it. But I like the idea of just here's a stat your character has for wealth, and um, you know if you make your roll, if you get a the to, to put it in Dungeon World terms, if you get a 10 to 12, you get what you want. If you get a seven to nine, you get what you want, but it drops your your resources a little bit. If you get uh, or or you don't get exactly what you want, but it's something similar. And if you get uh, a green result or whatever, then you don't get what you want and you lose some wealth. You know, um, and that becomes part of the game, but the wealth comes back because you don't want your superhero game to be about accumulating wealth. Yeah, not generally. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. It does, but but it does mean that okay, now that we've repaired the Blackbird, we can't. You know, we, we have to be careful what we do because if we keep if we keep uh, crashing the Blackbird, we're not going to have a Blackbird for a couple of weeks, which right. can then be a motivation for the game. Uh, I guess I want wealth and any wealth system I have to be abstract and also narrative drive yeah. the narrative of the story yeah. forward i don't want it to just be okay now i've got it now i've got 10 <laughs> daggers you know if somebody I, wants 10 daggers you got 10 daggers take them you know uh, i definitely that's where i am in my um in in my current flavor of gaming as well yeah, yeah. i'm definitely there all right uh, so for me i i don't honestly think that there's anything that i have quote always wanted to explore end quote in this in this particular uh topic but i am very much looking forward to getting deeper into eye hunt and playing these characters that basically you know live in day to day struggling with their bills just trying to make it to the next day and and not get killed by the monsters that they're using to supplement their uh their income um i find it to be a very interesting idea and i'm looking forward to it so <clears throat> Yeah, I, I'm definitely with you on that. Um, yeah, good, good, good. All right, and that should wrap that one up. Absolutely. All right, that is our look at money and wealth. Yeah, we hope the next time that wealth shows up in your game, uh, this information will be of some use. And we're going to check in one more time with the chat room before we head over to the conversation corner. And Chromatic Chameleon made me break up over here. I, I almost literally LOL'd. They said in their second edition AD&D, uh, in second edition AD&D, wagon wheels are worth a hundred gold pieces. Their second level party spent the night putting Greyhawk wagons on bricks. Hundred gold uh, pieces a wagon wheel? Hell yeah! I'm rolling through town, <laughs> jacking those boys. <laughs> yeah, you know, here's here's the real question: if if a wagon wheel is a hundred gold pieces, how many gold pieces is a wagon? Yeah, because then the question be becomes: if it's less than four hundred gold. You buy the wagon and then take the so wheels off of it wheels. and sell the wagon. I mean, that, 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 that's the theory behind modern cars, is that it costs five times the cost of a car to build a car if you bought the yeah. car separately. Yeah. But, but also, um, in the original, I think it was the fantasy trip, um, due to a, a, a miswording, a empty wineskin was a gold piece, but a skin full of wine was half a gold piece. So if you bought a skin full of wine and drank it, you actually made money by getting yourself drunk. You would just buy a bunch of wine, drink the okay, wine, wait, sell, the, I, sell the skins back. I can prove this, though, right? So here's the thing. That's like going to New Orleans and getting one of those hurricane cups and just keeping the cup, right? Like yeah. you bought the hurricane cup for next to nothing. 
you drank the liquor while you were on the street, but then you take the cup home with you. Now you have a giant cup that you like basically was less to pay for than if you bought said yeah. giant cup. I don't know where I got this mug from, but it's something and I but I, I want one. I want more of them, but I don't know what I bought that was in it. But it's a it's a plastic mug with a handle with like a tiki face on it. It's my favorite glass in the house. And for the life of me, I have no idea what I bought that had in it. But I don't buy drinks, so it wasn't anything alcoholic. But if anybody ever could find one like this again, I would I would Let me tell you, post pandemic, if there is a tiki bar somewhere, I will go. I'll go too. I'll just get the mugs. I will. I will just. I will get. I will get fruity drinks with little umbrellas. Um, I'm all for that. Oh man! Somebody else had a question or something. I just wanted to see. Um, oh, so Avi asked me going back to the uh, corporation thing. If I had told the players about the clone mission. If I had just been up front and been like, hey, guys, listen, here's my concern about wealth. If I give you like if I give you these things in the regular game, um, like there's nowhere to go from that point on. Would you guys be down for a thing where you played clones? But I will let you um, I will let you buy some ridiculous gear and use it in game with the understanding that like it's a one way trip um, that you guys won't make it. And then your regular characters will be fine. I, I think okay. I could have pulled that off. Would you have would you have bought into that, Bob, if I had if I had pitched it like that? Yeah. I may have, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I do actually think that part of the problem with that um premise was that I was being clever, right? I normally use that story to talk about not being clever as a GM. Mm-hmm. And I was being clever because I was like, I'm gonna solve their problem, but haha, I'm clever. And then I'm going to kill them all and not tell them up front. I'm killing them all. Um, and then I'm going to make it into a, um, oh, and you wake up and uh, they tell you like, everything's fine. Like yeah. it was, um, is not good jamming on my part. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like of the things that one should not do as a GM. Um, yeah. If I made a top five, that is at least three. Yeah. Um, the other one is like, I mean, my number one is like, sometimes you just say no to a character concept. <laughs> like I could have saved so many games if I had just looked at somebody's character concept and been like, no, like, yeah. no, that's going to break the game. Yep. Like it's going to break the game, break the campaign, something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes you have to say that's not, that's not the character design we're coming for. Yeah. Or that's not, you know, that's not, uh, that's not going to fit. We can't run this game. It's not the, work. the version of me a decade ago was much more about trying to just make those things work, but inevitably they don't. Yeah. Um, and I ruined a perfectly good witchcraft campaign because after we had pitched the game, one of the players was not happy because none of the characters in the main book were powerful enough and they wanted to play a vampire. And then in playing it, the vampire, which came from a supplemental book, was way too powerful. Um, and then it just kind of wrecked everything like, and we just, we wound up tanking the campaign. Like we just like put a bullet in it after like three or so episodes. Yeah, It was a shame. I mean, sometimes you just have to, I mean, I think these days as we've gotten older, both GMs and players, we're not afraid to rewind. Um, I played a GURPS campaign. We played GURPS horror and I figured out that if I took the right combination of, um, flaws, I could play a vampire and I did. 
Right. Uh, and very quickly we realized this was real this made several things in the game very difficult. But I had a GM who said, he's like, you know, I like your vampire concept, he's too powerful. Can we can we tone him down a little bit? And I was like you know, stuck in the mud for like a week and then I'm like, you know what, let's try this. And it worked. But uh, I mean I was I was a, a stuck up teenager, so I didn't want to give away my powerful character. Yeah. But, yes. because, but because the GM came to me with a compromise and I was actually willing to stop being you know, quite, a, you know, quite as much of an asshole, it worked eventually, and we had a good time playing it. Um, but you got to be, sometimes you have to do that kind of thing, because you'll see that that character concept problem that you can tell us looking at, okay, you've just min-maxed this character. But the other problem with min-max, you know, you have a character who's all combat. Great. You know, all they've got is they've got two combat skills that they're maxed up to the max. So, ha, 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 I'm going to be the GM who just makes them do a, a bunch of Mental, uh, do a bunch of mental chasks all the time, but they're going to fail. That's not fun for anybody. My friends, I'm yes. looking at the time. We yes. should proceed quickly to the conversation corner. Yes. We should not dally too long in the conversation corner, and then, and then, sure, uh, sure. and then speed towards the after show if we're going to have one uh, t- yep. this week. So, right. yep. let's, let's do, do it. The conversation All right, so we've hit on a few of these things already. Um, Conversation yeah. Corner, the lightning the round. lightning round. Playing a lot of Valheim, and I just figured out um, the ways that they have built into it to do their equivalent of, quote, creative mode like in Minecraft. So now I can just wander around and build whatever I want to build without having the actual resources to build them and unlocking certain things so I can just play. Um, so in my solo thing, I'm just farting around with that, just uh, having a good time. No um, command line game game mode zero. Um, it's a little different. It's command line, two command line modes or two command line commands that you have to put in to get it to. Yeah, there you go. Do the thing. Yeah. All right, keep going. Keep um, going. Watch a shit ton of Voyager, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So oh. good. Can't wait till the the, yeah. the the cap comes off that for spoilers. Um, mm-hmm. We had our Forbidden Lands game, which again, loving that. And uh, we had our first full actual session of iHunt where we we, we started um, the investigation for the actual first hunt, not the one that you just abstract as like the the, the pilot the pilot episode. Um, so that that's looking like it's going to be a whole ton of fun. Yep. Jerry, what do you got? All right, um, got my new van, um, which I'm both excited about and also disappointed in because I don't like when they redesign things. So I'm still trying to learn uh, why they turned my van into a giant iPad, but it's fun. <laughs> uh, I like dials and buttons. I don't like having to look at it at a touch screen, yeah. but it's a new van. It handles well. Um, I've been enjoying Voyager. Like I said, this is my first run through the real series. I'd only seen a couple episodes. I'm really liking the characters. Last week's episodes were amazing. I loved the Tom Paris Neelix episode. I thought they handled that so well. Um, I realized I'd only seen Rogue One once. Oh, and I got sick, it. and I got sick while while watching it at the theater, so I missed the middle of it. So I thought, set on to watch it again. An amazing movie, I loved it. Love that movie. Um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier is just setting off so many freaking Easter eggs. Um, Falcon is my second favorite Marvel hero, so seeing him in this, it just it's no spoilers. They're telling like five plots and storylines that I all love all the way along, and they've even undone something that I thought was a horrible travesty of Jessica Jones. They are fixing, so I'm happy about that. Um, and I did a play test for a game and discovered something interesting. It might be fun to pin for a future episode, which was how to invoke emotional stakes. We played a game that was all about emotional stakes and 
they were all pre-gens and it was a fun game, but I had absolutely no emotional investment in any of the characters. They, I, I didn't want any of them to die, but when they did, I was like, meh, kind of like you are when you're a GM and that then goblin number four gets killed. Um, so I learned a little bit about myself and about emotional stakes. So that was something to put a pin in and how to deal with Ding. how to write. So Phil. Right. Um, 60 seconds. Go for it. Here we go. So I, uh, I, you know, played for, I ran Forbidden Lands. That was excellent. Um, that, that is just my, um, staple game, right? Like we just, every week we play it and increment the story another notch. Um, so fantastic. I hunt, uh, I'm digging, um, still getting a feel for the game, but I like where it's going. I like the tone of this game. Uh, it's hitting the right spot. Uh, I've been working on Minecraft 1.6. Uh, in fact, I got a request into Schmitty to put in a few more uh, mods to uh, address some of the things that I think we'd be missing, um, including a fix for Bonsai, which I was very happy to find, uh, Ender Pearl uh, Cultivation, which I was very happy to find, a few other things um, that uh, I think we will. I think we will all miss a lot if we didn't have in the game. So I'm working on that. Uh, and have been play testing it and been having a lot of fun actually uh play testing it by just building um and playing uh a little here a little there uh enterprise i i made it through the um Ener- enterprise galactica season three um which is like it is dark like it, it is dark like Battlestar galactica i have come out the other side on season four um I still think seasons one and two are better so far than seasons three and four. Although people swear to me, season four is great. I'm waiting to see that. Um, and the weather got nice uh, for a couple of days. I got out on my bike, yep. not long, but I got two rides in. Uh, I got to try my new bike bag. Um, that is uh, on the front of my bike, uh, from Topo designs, which is fantastic. Oh. Um, so I don't have to take my sling bag with me anymore. I can just put my shit in the, um, I can just put it in the zip, you know, in the bag, zip it up, um, it's, you know, right on the front of my bike. And I got to use the exercise feature of my Apple watch. Yay. So I was able to just be like, I'm going cycling and it like keeps my heart rate and stuff. So like when I take a break, I can see like my heart rate and like my time and stuff like that. So very cool. Uh, and was, uh, digging that as well. I got a ride today because it hit like 72 and I like yeah. finished work and like jumped on my bike and just took, like took a, it was only a mile. It was like, 15 minutes, but I like went around the block I did a mile before walk dinner today because it was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Super nice. Yeah. Anyway, that's me. That's conversation corner. Take us to the patron shout outs. Patreon shout outs. All right. Thank you to the old school DM, our very own Sean Merwin, the mad wizard, Troy Sandlin, Will Doyle, Zach Goins, Chris Constantine, Cindy Moore, Eric Simon, Mirko Frolik, and Andrew Demps. And thanks to everyone for listening tonight. If you are free on Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. The Queen's Time, come join us live on Twitch where you can chat with other listeners in the awesome chat room for life and ask us the occasional question. If you cannot make it to the live show, check out our podcast each week, wherever you get your podcasts. And take a listen to some of the other shows in the Mr. Mark Network, such as Mastery Dungeons, Bonestone Obsidian, The FM Gamers, Hannah's Talking Games, The Gnomecast, Jungle Hustle, The Lounge, Bonus Experience, and back episodes of She's a Super Geek. You can and should Check out our sibling podcast, Tabletop Bellhop, The Nights of the Night, and the always amazing Gaming and BS. After you have amassed a whole ton of wealth and are ready to spend it on that big shiny, leave us some feedback. You can reach us directly via email at mmp at misdirectedmark.com. You can hit us up on Twitter. The show and the network is at misdirectedmark. 
He is Robert M. Everson. He is GM Gerrymander, and I am DNA Phil. If you like what we do this here is- and on the other shows in the Misdirected Mark Network, you can support our Patreon campaigns. MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games are at patreon.com slash MMP. Zhangu Hustle is at patreon.com slash Zhangu Hustle. And Bonus Experience is at patreon.com slash bonus experience. Patrons of MMP, Mastering Dungeons, and Pandas Talking Games get access to the after show, pre-production show notes, musical parodies, the Bamboo Lounge, and other special releases. This has been a Mr. Kimar production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Mic drop! We out!